This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. Well, it's certainly a blessing to be here this morning with everyone. Um, it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's a great day to come together to worship the Lord, and as, as every first day of the week is, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, places, and it's not generally um, our, our uh, practice or custom, you know, among the churches that we see a, a huge a new wave of people who haven't come before uh, on Easter, but that's pretty common in a lot of denominations, and I know that was pretty common uh, in, in my uh, upbringing as, as being raised in the Catholic uh, religion, and uh, you'd see a bunch of people going out and living however they want and doing whatever they want, and then on, on that special day they would come or on special uh, holidays, and they would count it as good. It's like, well, I showed up on these important uh, highlights, but what about the rest of the, the time of their life or the, throughout the day uh, even? And, and I guess what could be more common for us is getting stuck in a, in a pattern of uh, making sure that we're here every Sunday and believing that that is going to be good enough or qualify us for you know, salvation and uh, for, for the resurrection. But we need to know and understand what Jesus did for us um, in our lives, and, and this is true for, for, for all the world, of course, but it's especially important for those of us that are gathered here and, and those who may uh, listen to this recording later. We need to really know and understand what Jesus did for us so that it can be meaningful in our lives, so that we can uh, live as though these, these things are true. Uh, so this morning, I want to I put some focus on uh, four things that Jesus came and did for us um, in coming into this world and, and, and uh, providing the hope that he provided for us when we had no hope. Uh, because we understand that humanity had fallen to sin and we were overcome with sin and sin had grown in the world to such a point, uh, you get to, by the time you get to Genesis 6, God looked at the world and saw that it was totally corrupt. The thoughts of the hearts of people, all humans, were uh, only evil continually, the Bible says, and so he decided to destroy with the flood and start over, and since that time, sin has continued to grow and grow in our world, and it may feel that way sometimes for us. It's hard to imagine that every person, 99% uh, of the people, that only their, their evil, their, only their thoughts were evil continually. And sometimes we might think that our world has, is corrupt and the, the nation we live in and the world we live in and the time we live in is bad, but I'm not so sure if it was as bad as what Noah and, and uh, his family experienced in that time. But nonetheless, it is evil that abounds in our world and sin that influences the world and influences our life. But uh, by the time that Jesus came onto the scene, there was still, there, there was a lot of sin happening under the guise of even uh, religious faith. You see the Pharisees in, as the prime model of that. They had taken the Word of God and corrupted it with their traditions, and sin infected their, their view of the law and the way that they carried out the law. But what Jesus did in coming into this world, the first thing that I want to talk about is that He came to open our eyes, in the eyes of, of humanity. He came to show us something different. He came to show us something better. He came to shed light on a, on a huge problem that we have as people. In John chapter 12, verse 46, he says, I am come a light into the world. This was Jesus, one of his stated purposes for coming into this world. He was a light. 
and, and whos that whosoever should believe on me should, should not abide in darkness. And we see this contrast given in the scriptures over and over by Christ and, and the apostles, but there is a difference in light and darkness. In, in darkness, we are blind. Our eyes are unable to see what's around us. If we uh, sealed off all the light uh, that's, that's coming into this room, the natural light, and turn off all the lights, we would not be able to see anything. We would not be able to know uh, each other and see each other and be able to walk around this room without stumbling and falling all over ourselves and hurting ourselves. And that's exactly really what was happening in the world. There was so much darkness that people were unable to see where they're going, unable to see a clear path. And, and it's so deceitful because while you're in darkness, you think that you can see clearly and you're hurting yourself and hurting other people. And that's what was happening in the world. And not only with sin and blatant, obvious sin, but so many people committing sin in the name of godliness or holiness and religion. And, you know, it may be idol worship. They may think that they're doing something good to please their gods, or it, it really essentially becomes the same. If, even if someone thinks they're serving God, we may just, in fact, be serving an idol. But if we're blind and, and we're, our eyes are darkened, we won't be able to clearly see the information that's in front of us and make a determination. But Jesus came to put a very bright light onto that problem. He came into that world, into the world for that very reason. Uh, in John chapter 9, verse 39, Jesus says, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see, might see, uh, the, that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. Jesus came into the world to bring judgment uh, and, and discernment and shine this light upon this problem so that people who are blind and are in the darkness could have their eyes opened. And the people who claim that they see very clearly and claim that they have it all figured out and claim that they have no problems and claim that, uh, that they are good, just like the Pharisees uh, is, a, is a good example, and then other people that are living in sin that thought they had no issues at all, that life was grand, life was great, and uh, there's a whole wide spectrum of people that, that fall into that blindness category, but the people that believe that they see clearly and have no problems this light would become blinding to them. And, and they would not be able to see it. They would shut their eyes off to this light that Christ brought into the world. But the people who understand and recognize that they are blind, they cannot see, he brings light to those people so that we can see. And so for those who are open and receptive to why Jesus came and the message he brought into the world, he's trying to help us come out of darkness so he opens our eyes. And this is exactly what he told Paul when he commissioned Paul to go and preach, he said, you're going to be going in front of Gentiles and kings, and you're going all over the place to proclaim my message. And one of the purposes of Paul going out and doing this, and the rest of the apostles even, and this was Jesus' purpose, in Acts 26, 18, he says, Paul is being sent out to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness, the blindness, the, the inability to see, to light, so that they can see, so that they can understand, so that they can know, and in that is they're being turned from the power of Satan to the power of God. If you're in darkness and you're blind, you are under the power of Satan and you are deceived and you are, uh, you are trapped by Satan. And that's, that's the blindness. And the light is coming to a place where we can see, we can know, we can understand, and we, we come into the power of God. And that was Paul's mission, to go and share this message uh, so that people could 
have their eyes opened. And that's what Jesus came into the world to do, so that we might receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those that are sanctified by faith that is in, in Christ, of course. Um, and so the first thing that, again, that we're talking about, Jesus came to open eyes. He came to help us see more clearly. And the way he does that is by giving us message, by giving us the knowledge of the scriptures, the, the things that we have penned in the New Testament, and even in the Old, uh, as we study and, and look at these things and see how they work together, it is eye-opening. It opens our understanding, and Jesus wants us to have that experience, and that's one reason he came into the world. Now, the second thing that Jesus came to do is he came to die for us. Because we were blind in sin and, and thinking, and when I say us in this context, I'm saying humanity, because we were so blind and we were in such darkness, we did not see and could not see clearly the guilt that we had upon us. Because sin, as the Bible defines it, is a violation of God's laws. When we, when we violate God's law, we, go, we do something contrary to what God has ordained as good, that is sin. We are committing an act of sin. And it doesn't matter if we knew that or, you know, we can do things in ignorance for sure. Um, but we develop these habits when we're in, living in that darkness and living in that blindness that we start to get really comfortable with. And, and we get to a point... Peter describes it in his epistles as having our conscience seared over with a hot iron. And if you can imagine, that's a pretty, pretty graphic description and a pretty accurate description. Uh, but when you, if you were to sear something, you know, if you took a hot iron and seared uh, your flesh, it would kill the nerves and then you would probably not be able to feel that part of the flesh anymore that was seared. Um, and, and that's... That's something that we can understand. But he says and describes it as that's what's happening to our conscience. The more we take that hot iron of sin and continue to press and depress and depress that upon our conscience, it will eventually die and the nerves will die and the, the feeling of guilt and the feeling of shame will go away to, to some degree. Um, now, I don't think it will ever fully because I think we do more things to cover it up and stuff that down and we uh, pile on more addictions and more... Uh, avoidance behaviors and more, all these things that we do to kind of stuff that away, but it's still there. Uh, but nonetheless, we get accustomed to committing sin and we stop feeling the guilt and the sting. And I think that's what blindness causes us to do. Um, and when we get to that point, we don't have a sense of, of understanding, I have violated God's law. And because of that, there is punishment that is on me now. There is a, there is a, debt that I have incurred. There is a penalty to pay for that debt, and uh, I stand guilty before God. There's some beautiful Psalms where David describes, describes it. Uh, he describes it beautifully, and he talks about the guilt and the shame that we have, and if God were to account all of our sins, no one would be able to stand before him. And, and, and the weight of sin that is upon our head, I mean, David described it as I have so many sins that are more than the hairs of my head so that I cannot even lift up my face to, to look at God. And that's a man who could feel and see and understand the, the shame that he was carrying around with him because of sin. But again, 
We stand guilty before a judge that requires payment for those sins, that requires um, the penalty to be paid, and we had that upon us until Jesus came into this world to give us a way out. In John chapter 1, verse 29, it says the next day, John, uh, that is uh, John the baptizer, uh, Jesus' cousin, the forerunner, he comes and he sees Jesus coming to him and he says, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. He saw and knew and recognized Jesus and what he was here to do. He was the Lamb. And that description is appropriate for as we think about um, as we think about Christ, He is a sacrifice that was prepared, and He was perfect, and He was holy, and He is the Lamb of God that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood was shed and His body was given so that we could uh, be freed from the sins that we've committed. And He did this to bring access to this freedom to all the world. So now that humanity so, so now humanity has an opportunity to, to course correct and to change the, tra the trajectory we're on because he's brought us light, he's brought us understanding, and he's brought us the sacrifice that will cleanse us from sins. Peter described it this way in what he did for us. It's not only that he gave his life for us, but there's much, much more to that. Not only did he die for us, but he took sin into his own body. He took the responsibility of our sins and the sins of all of the world. That's a tremendous weight. I, I cannot imagine. I can barely carry the weight of my own sin. I can't imagine Christ taking on the sin of the whole world. First Peter verse two, or chapter 2, verse 24, he describes it this way. Who in his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. All of the guilt and the shame that you feel, all of the sin that you've committed, all of those things that you've done wrong, all the violations that, that humanity has committed and that you and I have committed against God, Jesus willingly took that burden off of us and put it onto Himself. And in His own body, He bare those sins on the tree. And as He hung there, He was, he was uh, receiving the wrath of God being poured out upon this sin and, and destroying it in this process. But... He did that so that we, being dead to sins, would live to righteousness. Who by whose stripes we are healed. He died and, and took on those sins and, and destroyed sin in that way and took that penalty so that all of us who were dead in our sins would instead live in righteousness. And living in righteousness means that our record is clean. It means that there is no record because Jesus took that on. And when God looks at us, if we're in Christ and, we're, and we are covered by His blood, He sees the payment that Christ made on our behalf and, and our sins are no longer uh, recognized if, if we are covered by Christ. And so He died for us so we could live unto righteousness with a clean slate, forgiven of our penalty, not living under the wrath of God, because that's what we have if we are in sin and we are guilty of our sins and there's nobody who's paid those for us, we are going to have to, we are going to have to endure that, that penalty for the crimes that we've committed against God and we stand guilty, but Christ came so that we wouldn't. Christ came so that we had a chance to be freed from that because only He could bear that punishment for us and 
he doesn't want us to die. He wants us to live as free from the guilt and the shame of God. So he clears us from guilt. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, it says, For our sake, that's why Jesus came and did, did this, for your sake and for my sake, God made Christ to be sin, a, a man who knew no sin. There was no sin in Christ. He was pure. He was perfect. He was holy. He didn't have evil thoughts. He didn't say evil things. He didn't have evil intention in, in his heart. He didn't commit evil actions. He knew no sin. And yet, he took in his body the weight of that sin and experienced the guilt and the shame on our behalf. And he embodied sin as he hung there on the cross so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I think it's hard to uh, I think it's hard to fully describe this in a way that would give us the deep appreciation that we should have for what Christ did for us. Um, but we need to know that He came and died on our behalf so that we could live and we could be righteous before God. Otherwise, we have no hope. All we all we have hope for is to be is is destruction and eternal. Uh, separation from God, and justly so for our, for our sins that we commit. We deserve that. After all that God has given to us, and all that we do to twist and abuse and to hurt and to worship our own selves, but Christ came to give us this gift. And in the fact that He came as the Lamb of God to be slain and to bear our sins and to shed His blood, He also came to be raised from death. That was one of the reasons and purposes that he had in, in coming into this world, physically entering into this world, giving up his life and experiencing death just like you and I, so that he could be lifted up from that power, from that, from that, uh, from that destruction, and from that separation. In 1 Peter 3, verse 18, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous in place of the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. The reason that Jesus did this is so that he could bring us closer to God. He was raised from death. And if you remember, we've talked about this before, but death, the accurate way to think about death is a separation. When you die physically, your body and your soul are separated. Your body goes to the grave, your soul, uh, of course, goes into the place as that Jesus described in Luke 15 as Hades, and you go there into this place of, of comfort or place of torment, um, and that's where we go and wait. Now, that's what happens when we die, of course, but that's a separation, and it's not supposed to be that way. And, and death, ultimately, is a... If we go to the place of torment, and because we've lived unrighteously, and we have that guilt, and we don't have the light, and we're in blindness, and we're in darkness, that is a separation from God. Now, at the end, while we have life, we have the opportunity to change that, if we so choose. But if we die in that state, or we are judged to remain in that state, then there's not going to be any hope, and we will be eternally separated from God. 
And that's not something that we want. And that's not something Jesus wants. And so he died to not only spiritually bring us to God, so, but that he could physically bring us to God, return us to a state that God originally designed. He wants us to be one with him. And, you know, sometimes we make this distinction between physical and spiritual, but honestly, there's not a distinction. He wants us to be with God totally in, in every way. And that's why he came to die. And being put to death, he was made alive in the spirit. He was raised physically from death. And this is not something that's supposed to happen. It's like he reversed uh, the course of things. Because once we die, that's it. We feel like it's permanent. We never see those people again that died. But Jesus made it possible for that not to be so. And he was raised up on the third day, coming back to life and defeating the power of Satan and the hold that death has upon uh, all humans. And so now Jesus has authority over that to raise everyone up, and of course we'll receive in our bodies the, what we've done and, and receive the judgment. But understand what Jesus did in the fact that he was raised from death. It was so significant. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, he describes it this way, For as much then as the children, us, humanity, are partakers of flesh and blood, in this physical form, this body that God's given us, this flesh. He says that Christ also himself likewise took part of the same. He became like us so that he could experience what we do and that through death he might destroy him that had power of death, that is the devil. So Jesus breaks the power that Satan has over us so that death no longer has dominion. And in that he delivers us, humanity, the righteous, who through through fear of death, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And that's true. Humanity has always been subject to this fear of death, and we've been enslaved to, to this fear of death. And we do everything we can to avoid death and avoid dying physically in this life. Yet the thing that we need to do to avoid death is have our eyes open and come to Christ and, and be covered in His blood, have the the payment for our sin paid by Christ and, and be raised with Him. And then we, we will become free. The fact that Jesus was raised from the dead relieves a huge fear and concern that we should have in our lives, and that is the fear of death. We're not enslaved to that anymore. It truly, if we understand what Jesus did, we can know that it just doesn't matter what happens to our bodies physically. It won't matter. It doesn't. Because he's conquered that, and he's going to raise us up, and it's going to be fine. That's, that's the story. <laughs> it's a happy ending. Um, everything will be made right. And it just doesn't matter what we go through in this life. Um, and it still, of course, is, uh, still causes us some fear. And I'm not saying we won't ever feel that. But we should have a higher level of confidence knowing that Jesus died and he rose again. And because he did that, you know that you will also experience that if you are in Christ. If you die, you know that you're not dead. God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living, and he will raise you up again. And, and that's what Jesus came to give us, a gift to be free. He also came to invite us in this whole process that he came to do and giving us light and dying for us and, and raising, being raised from the dead. He invites us into his life. He invites us into a new experience. 
one that is in stark contrast to the world. If we go away from God and we are without Him in this world and we are living in sin and we are staying in that blindness, He comes and gives us something totally different, something that is, is life-giving. If we are dead, He comes to give us life and He invites us into that experience. And that could be true even if prior... Uh, just think about what he came to do in that time. They had the law of God, of course, but they had twisted it so much and they had become blind in their sin, even, in, even under the name of serving God. But he comes to free us from that and give us true life and true understanding of what it means to love and to serve and to worship the Lord. And so he invites us into that because Jesus doesn't want us to die. He doesn't want us to have death hanging over us. Instead, he wants us to be filled with life. And He wants life to be flowing from us. And He wants us to be surrounded by that. He wants us to have life in us and, and us to give life and bring life to others as well. In John chapter 10, verse 10, He says, The thief, that's evil, that's Satan, that is, that is even agents of, of Satan. The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Satan just wants to take what you have. Satan wants to, to rob you of the joy and the, the peace and the confidence that you should have. He wants to kill and hurt, and he wants to destroy and, and undo the things that are good and godly in this life and in this world that bring us that joy and that peace. But Jesus instead comes to give. He didn't come to take anything from you but your sins. And he came to give you life and he gives it away to you freely and all of us and he wants us to have life more abundantly he wants us to truly experience what it is to live in him in second timothy 2 or second timothy chapter 1 verse 9 through 10 it says that he paul is describing this whole story and, and sums it up succinctly in this way and he says god who has saved us and has called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, our ability, or our you know, anything, but he says according to his own purpose and grace. That's why this is such a gift. We didn't deserve it, and we had no way to overcome these things, but Christ came to overcome it for us. And this purpose and this calling, which was given to us in Christ before the world began, he says is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus. He came into this world and appeared into this world as flesh, and did all of these things, and he has abolished death. And what has he brought? He has brought life and immortality to light. He wants us to experience life, and he invites us into life and immortality through the gospel. This is how he made this known to us, through the message of the gospel. And he invites us now, and this is why it's so important for us to remember and for us to carry this message and to share with others and not get distracted by all the false gospels and all the false messages in the world and not just get comfortable because people say they're believers or they have, you know, whatever. Like, we can take people's word for it, but also verify the truth and make sure we're sharing the truth because the way He invites us into it is by putting us in Him. And the way He does that is Mark chapter 16, uh, 15 through 16. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, this gospel that has brought us life and immortality. This, that, that is about Christ and that is this purpose, that about our salvation and our holy calling and the fact that we can live in a state of death being abolished and we're not enslaved to death any longer. He says through the gospel, 
That's what we're preaching to every creature. And those that believe and are baptized will be saved. And those that don't believe, they'll be condemned. And it's not because uh, Jesus wants to condemn them. It's because people condemn themselves. If you reject Christ, you're condemning yourself. But if you don't, you will, if you believe, then you must be baptized into Christ and have salvation imparted upon you. And now uh, you can live in the gift and in the joy and in the life that He's invited you to. And if you've been baptized into Christ, you, this is what you've received. The, the opening of your eyes from blindness, the gift of having guilt removed from you, the fact that Jesus abolished death and we don't have to be in terror of death, and He invites us into life. That's what we have to experience. But I want <clears throat> to... I was trying to think of a way to, to really make this make sense for me. And, and for others. And I'm going to say something now about all these things that Jesus did for us. What Jesus did for you doesn't matter. And it won't make a difference in your life. If you don't know, if you don't understand, if you don't appreciate, and if you don't live as though it is true. It just won't matter. Now it's not that Jesus and what He came to do meant nothing and has no power. It absolutely does and it will, and it has made a difference in this world. And the Bible says though we might be all all of us and humanity and the church and his people might have no faith, yet he is faithful. But for you personally, in your life and in my life, it will not matter. It will not change anything. It will not help us if we don't know and understand and appreciate and live as though it is true. Because if we don't, if we... I just have this surface level, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian, and yeah, I was baptized, and yeah, I do these things, and it's not a real, deep, meaningful change in our life that we actually care about, that actually guides us and changes us and alters our behavior, then we are going to stay blind. It doesn't matter that Jesus came to bring light into the world. We will stay blind, and, we, and that's what Satan wants. He wants to keep you blind, and he wants to keep me blind. And the way that happens is by having this attitude. We're just going to have an attitude that it just doesn't matter. We're never going to acknowledge our sins. We're never going to be open about our problems. We're never going to be vulnerable with other people. We're going to put on this veneer of perfection. And sometimes it's out of fear of being judged. Sure, that happens. But you're going to stay blind. John chapter 9, again, Jesus says, He came for judgment into this world so that those that don't see, those which see not, might be able to see. And those which see might be made blind. And some of those Pharisees that we've talked about extensively in other sermons and in other studies, those Pharisees that were there with Him, they heard these words, they were mad about that. They were offended that Jesus would dare say that they were blind. And they said, well, are we blind? They, they were so... They thought this was such an unbelievable statement, and they were offended. They could not believe that 
we, the religious leaders, the people who study the law, the people who study the traditions, the people who compel other people to carry out these traditions from the elders, and we inflict these fines and these punishments, and we put all this pressure, and we cast people out if they don't follow it. We're withholding, we're holding the line, and we're making sure people are living up to this standard. And if they don't, they'll pay for it. You're saying we're blind? We're the religious elite. How dare you? That was their attitude. And Jesus says, if you were blind, you should have no sin. And what Jesus is saying is, if you would recognize your blindness, you would have an opportunity to have your sins removed from you. If you would just hear what I'm saying to you. But now you say, we see. We have sight. We can see clearly. We don't need what you're saying, Jesus. Therefore, your sin remains. That's the problem, and that's the, the effect of staying blind in our life. If we don't know, this is why I'm saying it doesn't matter what Jesus came to give us light. It doesn't matter that he came to shed this light and turn us from the power of light to the, from the power of darkness into the power of light if we are going to choose to remain blind. If we just close our eyes to our own self and our own problems and stuff away those things and act like there's no issues, act like there's no problems... For whatever reason, whether it's to, to maintain prominence or maintain power or influence with people or it's out of fear, it doesn't matter what the reason is, we are going to stay blind. And if we do that, we are going to get to a point and be in a point where what's really happening in our life is that we are loving the darkness rather than the light. John, 3, 19, verse, uh, John chapter 3, verse 19, he says, this is the condemnation. If we don't believe in Christ, we're condemned already, and this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light, and neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved or made known. And, and it's very, very difficult. It is very difficult to own up to your problems and your sins and come to the light so that it can be made known and be seen. It is. It's painful. It's embarrassing. But if you let that embarrassment hold you back, if you let the pride hold you back, then all you're going to do is remain in that darkness. And it's because we want to, at times, it can grow to a point where it's because we love the deeds that we're doing that are evil, and we don't want to stop doing those things and give those things up and make that sacrifice so that we can come to the light and see clearly. And that's what Jesus was telling to these Pharisees. If they would just have the mindset and the humility to lay down their pride, lay down their, their desire for power and their desire for position, and see that you are blind, you have an opportunity to have your sins forgiven. But they, they didn't because they didn't want it. And that's the truth. If we don't receive the light and see clearly, it's because we don't want it. It's a choice that we're making. And so... It just, what Jesus came to do won't mean anything and won't have any effect in your life because you'll stay blind. We'll also stay guilty. Romans chapter uh, 2, verse 5, he says, But after the hardness and impenitent heart, you're treasuring up to yourself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Paul was writing to the Jews and Gentiles there in Rome, and he addresses the Romans in chapter 1, or the Jews, rather, in chapter 1, and explains uh, about these things of the law. But then 
in chapter 2, he really gets after them because it's like if you are complaining about the Gentiles being so disobedient against the Word of God, are you not understanding that you're doing the same thing? If you read Romans chapter 2, that's what he's talking about. He says you're guilty of the same thing, disobedience to God. And he's, he is bringing reproof of their sins to them so that they could see, and he says, what you're really doing, because your heart is so hard, and you're so impenitent, meaning you are not willing to repent, all we're doing is storing up wrath on that day of wrath, the final judgment. We're just building up more and more wrath upon us. And it doesn't matter if we have been cleansed by the blood of Christ or not. If we choose to live in disobedience to God and have a hard heart, we are going to have to pay the penalty and experience the wrath of God upon us. The very thing that Jesus came to save us from, we are going to have ex to experience if, if we have a heart of disobedience. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, describes the level of judgment we're going to receive if we have become Christians and we're in the light and chose to go back into the darkness and just give up. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the last state is worse with them than the first. In fact, Peter says it this way, it's going to be so bad that it would have been better for that person not to have known the way of righteousness in the first place. It would have been, it, it, for some people, it would have been better for them not to become a Christian at all. You're going to receive a, a less harsh judgment for choosing to not be a Christian than you would if you chose to be a Christian and after knowing it, you've turned back from the holy commandment delivered to us. It's going to be far worse. That's probably the worst category that, the, of judgment, I'm sure, that, that will happen on that day. All of the people who were like the, that had no root and they sprung up and they were happy and they received it with joy and then when trials and difficulties come, they just give up and, and go away or they get choked out by the cares of this life. And it has happened to them according to the true proverb, the dog returns to his own vomit and the sow that washed to the, back to the mud, back to the wallowing in the mire. So again, what Jesus did for you, it just won't make a difference if you're going to just go back into the world and back to sin and we're going to let ourselves be entangled in those sins again and we're going to allow blindness to keep us in that state because we're going to stay guilty and we're going to experience the wrath of God even to a higher degree than we would have if, if we never become a Christian in the first place. We're also going to stay enslaved to fear of death because we're serving death and that's ultimately what we're going to experience. He says in Romans chapter 16, verse 16, Know ye not that to whom you present yourselves as servants unto obedience, his servants you are whom you obey? whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. That's the choice that we're making and we're living in. We're either choosing to be obedient to death, sin, which will lead us to death, and if we're continually doing that, we're going to have a great fear of death in our life, and we're not going to be able to be free. We're not going to be able to be relieved. We're going to go about um, in fear all the time, and the Bible describes people who are living in sin as oceans in the wave. They're constantly tossing and turning and there's no stillness. There's no peace. Romans 8.15 says, 
accurately describes the gift we've been given. He says, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But if we're in sin, we are going to have a, a sense of bondage and a sense of fear in our life because we know, we know that it should not be this way. And we're going to stay blind. We're going to stay guilty. We're going to stay enslaved to sin and to death. And we're going to feel hopeless. And that's where that, that hopeless feeling, that's the fear. That's the spirit of bondage and fear. You're trapped and there's no way out. And you're going to experience that. And you're going to stay there. And it won't matter that Jesus came to free us from that experience. If, if we're going to choose to stay in that position. And ultimately, we're going to stay dead in our sins. He invites us into life, but what He invited us into, it won't mean anything. It won't change anything, because we're going to stay in the experience of death. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. If we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. The sacrifice of Jesus won't mean anything. If we, on purpose choose to commit sin, we willfully are going after that sin, despite having the knowledge of the truth, despite understanding and knowing what is good and what is right, then there just remains no more sacrifice for sins. But what, what will we have? A certain fearful looking for of judgment and fire indignation, which will devour the adversaries. That's what we're going to have. We're not going to have a sense of peace because we know we have life, because we know our sins are forgiven, and we know that we're following the truth. And I'm not saying making mistakes. We make mistakes. But I'm saying if we just give up, we willfully go back into these things, and we let our heart get hardened, and we let ourselves stay in blindness, and we're just incurring all that guilt back upon us, and all we have to look forward to, what, what the writer is saying here, all we have to look forward to is not life, it's not peace, it's not joy, but instead fear, because we're going to be terrified knowing that the judgment and the fiery indignation is coming. And we're going to know in ourselves that, that we should be scared. In this chapter, it says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And, and I, I don't want to fall into the hands of the living God without being covered by Christ's blood. Because I know what the outcome will be. And then he gives us an example, and he says, those that despised Moses' law, they died without mercy under two or three witnesses. And sometimes we look at the old law and we think, man, that is harsh. That is, that is so terrible. And, and people use that as a, a weapon against Christians and say, wow, your God is so terrible and, and hateful and evil. Look what he, he had them do. If somebody broke the law, they would drag them out from the camp and gather around them and stone them to death because they violated the law. Even something as simple as lifting up, picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. And he says, if that's the case for the people that lived under Moses' law and they received that harsh of a judgment and then they died without mercy under two or three witnesses, think about how much worse it's going to be for us that live under the New Testament. Of how much sore punishment do you suppose that he shall be thought worthy of who, who has trodden underfoot the Son of God? It's going to be much, much worse. If we, on purpose, go back into the life of sin and just 
fall headlong into that. It's going to be a much greater punishment. We already read about that in Peter. It would have been better for us not to become Christians in the first place. But if you thought Moses' law was harsh and heavy and difficult and the judgment was severe, it's going to be much more severe. Because what we're doing in going back to sin is trampling over the, the, the Son of God. We're just throwing Him down on the floor and trampling all over Him, and it just doesn't matter. Who cares? As long as we get to experience the joy that we want and the feelings we want and the things we want in this life and we count ourselves happy, who cares? We'll just step all over Him. And what we're doing is counting the blood of that covenant wherewith we were sanctified. We're treating it like some unholy thing, like trash, like garbage that we can just throw out and step all over. Because we've willingly gone after sin and done despite the Spirit of grace. We've, we've gone against the Spirit of grace on purpose and knowing that. So we are going to stay dead in our sins and we are going to experience horrific judgment and horrific... Uh, it's going to be a terrible experience. And that's not what Jesus wants us to have. And so again, I'll say, if, if the sacrifice of Christ and the things that He came to do will not mean anything and will have no effect in your life, if you don't choose to live as though they're true, if you don't choose to appreciate them and know them and understand them, if we don't spend our time thinking about it and reading about it in the Scriptures and talking to each other about those things and being open to hearing and, and speaking about those things, and uh, just as he says here in Hebrews 10, that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more as we see the day approaching, we should be provoking to love and to good works. Because if not, it's going to be terrible. And we don't want that experience for ourselves, and we shouldn't want that for each other. And so, it will mean something. It will make a difference if you choose to live as, as the risen. We've been raised from death into life. Live like it. Act like it. Live as those who are risen. Live as somebody in Christ because you've received light. Live as someone that rises above the blindness. Live as the resurrected from blindness. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 6-9, through 9, he says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and we walk in darkness, we, we lie and we are not doing the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. We need to choose to stay in that light and walk in the light. Don't run from it. Take on the sacrifice of the embarrassment and the pain and the, the shame that you might feel by exposing that and dealing with that. But come to Jesus and be in the light with Him and He will cleanse you from that sin. If you're a Christian, you have a gift of continual cleansing from Christ. And if we say we have no sin, we're going to stay blind, we're going we're to be in darkness, we're going to deceive ourselves, and the truth will not be in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful. We can count on Him, and He is righteous to forgive our sins. We can count on Jesus to bring forgiveness to us if we go and confess our sins to Him. And He's going to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He wants us to win. He wants us to succeed. 
to live as a person who has been resurrected from blindness and practice that continually because it's easy to fall into it. I feel that way often. And you go through life, you get in this rut, and then you just kind of wake up from it and go, what, <laughs> what am I doing? We need to embrace that mindset continually and say, I, I don't want to be a blind person. I want to know, I want to understand, I want to talk about, I want to run to Christ because I know I have problems, I know I need His help, and I know He's going to help me. What a great gift we have as Christians. So live as one who has been resurrected from blindness. Live as a person that has been uh, resurrected from your guilt and your shame and the wrath that you had upon you for your sins. And rise above abusing that forgiveness that we've received in Christ. Because that can happen too. Sometimes people go and they are baptized and they are excited and they're, oh, I'm a Christian now, and then they just kind of continue the habits in their life and think, well, I can just, you know, I can just go... I can just go to 1 John and I'm fine. And I can just keep doing the things that I want to do. It's fine because Jesus is there to forgive me. And then you have this sense of urgency removed from you to stop doing those sins. And you have this, uh, this experience of kind of, uh, I don't know, you just, you just think that you're fine. And, and that's blindness. But we need to arise, rise above that. In First in Peter chapter 2, he, in that chapter, he describes a lot about being in subjection to authorities, whether it's, a, uh, whether it's a, the, the government authorities in this world, and he's writing to people who lived under the Roman government, whether it's a, a relationship of the church and being in submission to, the, to uh, each other and to leaders, whether it's a relationship of a uh, wife being in subjection to her husband or children being in subjection to their parents, those types of things he talks about a lot in, that cha- in this book where he talks about living in subjection. But he says something interesting here in 1 Peter 2. Now he is talking about previously being subject to the authorities of the world. And he says, for this is the will of God, that by well-doing, by doing good things and doing good deeds and practicing those things and having that good fruit in your life, changing your behaviors, not acting like the sinful world, that we, in doing that, would put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. We're going to quiet people's mouths. We're going to stop people's mouths if we just go and live like Christians in this world. Truly live like Christians in this world. Because we will be free. And and he encourages them, don't use your freedom as a cloak of wickedness, but as a bondservant of, of God. And we need to understand that. Rise above abusing the forgiveness you've received. You live free because Jesus made you free. We live free from the, from the guilt and the shame. He wants us to live as the righteousness of God, not using our, our forgiveness as a cloak to commit more wickedness. Let's not twist what we've been given into something that is, is wicked, but instead, let us be, as servants of God, live righteously and live in freedom of that guilt and that shame. Because it's not a free pass for us to go do whatever we want. Being a Christian is not a free pass. Instead, it's a, it's a call to responsibility and it is, a, it is a commitment that we are going to be responsible for ourselves and our sins and our problems. And we are going to appreciate the great gift we've been given that we are not going to be, face the wrath of God. Live, then, as one that rises above that. And also, live as one that is resurrected from the fear of death. And rise above the fear of death. 
Because when we have the fear of death present in our lives, you know what we do? We do everything that we can to preserve what we have. We do everything we can to cling on to our picture of life. We do everything we can to cling to our, our property, our possessions, our power, our position. We try to preserve. And even our health. Now, it's important for us to be healthy, of course, and when we're sick, we should seek things that will help us. We want to be well. But sometimes that dominates our life so much that we're just, we, we are clinging instead of having a reflex of being able to let go. And if we can let go of that fear and live in, in that mindset, that's freedom. Romans 8.11, he says, If the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit that dwells in you. We should have so much confidence in that, that we can overcome the fears of, of death in this life. Because if we know and are confident that the Spirit of God is in us, that's the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead on that third day. And if that's in you, that's what you're going to experience. It's not going to be three days. You may be in, in the grave, as far as uh, time goes, you may be in the grave for hundreds of years. But it just won't matter. Because your mortal body is going to be raised up because that spirit dwelt in you and dwells in you. And we can be removed from that fear. So live as one that is resurrected from that fear. And finally, brethren, live as one that has been resurrected from the fleshly mind. Don't let yourself fall back into the sins and sin willfully and stay blind and stay in sin and stay dead, but instead rise above the fleshly mind and embrace the life that Jesus has brought us. Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 6. He says, uh, in chapter 2, he described being baptized into Christ and having our sins forgiven. And in chapter 3, he goes on and says, if then you were raised together with Christ, that means if you've been baptized into Jesus, you were raised up with Him in life. And if that's the case, seek those things that are above where Christ is. Look to where Christ is and seek the things of above that come from heaven, where Christ is and He stands at the right hand of God. Seeking the things that are above means putting attention to and putting our uh, hopes in and making our goals based around those things. And ordering our life around that reality that Jesus is raised and He sits on the right hand of God. And He says, so then set your mind on the things that are above, not the things that are on the earth. Don't get so attached to living in this, in this world, in this body, in the state of things as they are now, that we are unable to put our minds on spiritual things. For you died. When we were baptized into Christ, we died with Him. And you died. I died. And we've been made alive again, and our life is hid with Christ and God. And when Christ comes, who is our life? He's the source of our life. When He comes and is made known and manifest, and we see Him, because we're going to see Him, then shall you also, uh, with Him, uh, be manifested in glory. You'll see it, you'll get to experience the glory that Jesus has come to give us if we've been faithful in this life. 
if you've been put to death with Christ in baptism, Paul is saying, live like it. Live like you've been raised from the dead. And if you've put yourself to death in Christ, he urges and encourages us in the, in the following pages of that chapter even. He says, then put to death your members which are upon the earth. Leave those things that you've left behind in the grave. And put more things in that grave. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake come the wrath of God upon the sons of disobedience? If, if you have been raised with Christ, be raised with Christ. Live in a spiritual mindset. And remember that those who commit such things as are described here will not inherit the kingdom. That means you won't go to heaven. You won't enter into heaven. It doesn't matter how good you feel about yourself or ourselves. It doesn't matter how positively we want to think about ourselves or how much we want to excuse ourselves and, and say, well, there's a reason that I was doing that, whatever. It doesn't matter. If we don't choose to live in, in a spiritual mindset and put to death our our fleshly desires, the earthly desires, and put those things away, then it, it just, it's not going to be the benefit that we want to receive. So, brethren, I encourage you, live, as Paul says here in Colossians 3, live as those who are risen. Don't die again. Don't go back into the grave and resurrect your old life and choose to be stuck in that, in blindness, and in guilt, and in shame, and in fear, and in, and in death, but instead live as the raised. Experience the light. Experience the freedom from guilt. Experience the, fear, uh, the freedom of the fear of death. Experience the life that Jesus has invited us into. That is what Jesus came and did, and if you want it to mean something in your life, you have to choose. He's not going to make you choose anything and he's not going to make you do anything but you need to choose in your life do I want what Jesus did to make important be important in my life and make a difference in my life or not and if you're here this morning and you do want what Jesus did to be significant in your life then we need to come to the light and if you're struggling with sin if you're struggling with pride if you're struggling with whatever you, you're struggling with the family of Christ is here to provoke you to love and to good works we'll pray with you uh, we'll, we'll weep with you, we'll encourage you, uh, we'll walk with you. Um, and, and if you're here this morning and you're not baptized into Christ and you know that you're afraid of those things and you want freedom from, those, from, from sin and from death and you want to, to take up the invitation to come into life because you want what Jesus did to, to touch your life and to be meaningful in your life, we want that too. And so for anyone who's been thinking about this or wants this uh, or needs prayers of the church uh, from your family in Christ, then please come as we stand and we sing uh, because we invite you into the life of Christ. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.